hello, Sussex Squad Nation, Sussex Squad, wherever you are in the world. Welcome. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, guys. Happy Sunday. Charles, George. Wow, you guys look very alert. Did you guys get some sleep or something? We just, we just pretend well. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's how, not the wee hours of the morning yet. That's why. Oh, how are you guys doing? Excellent. Although I will say, you know, made a comment last week, Charles, about how you were surprised it was already Sunday. It feels like this week was even faster. And I don't know how that's possible, but maybe it's just because of the momentous occasion that is coming in six five days. days five days five days yeah yeah i think five maybe days. just gravity if you actually add up all the sleep that we've had is actually less than what we should have by this time so i think in the end it's just it just seems like there's fewer days i mean you guys have no sussex red nation you guys have no idea how um proud and happy that i am not just to be here being able to do this and having you guys listening to me, us, but just having those two wonderful, very good-looking men, may I say. I'm so <laughs> fortunate and lucky. That is not lying. <laughs> you guys look like you just come from what people would say. I think in America, they said straight out of um, casting something. Central casting. Central casting. Mm -hmm. You guys do look like you just... Casting. casting for what though <laughs> six foot tall one is blonde blue eyes and the other one is oh my god all i can say is hollywood <laughs> thank you hollywood star um but anyway um how are you guys doing sussex squad nation five days left and we have so much to go through so well, first, first of all, we have to ask how you are doing. Yeah, you gotta let them know. You have that. to at least be able to reciprocate. Oh my God, how am I doing? Um, working hard. Still have tons of work that I'm behind of, but I'm catching up a little bit. Um, I was a little bit, um, I won't say disturbed, but stressed out. Maybe probably about Wednesday, I got a, a news um, that make me feel down and that day i was just bummed out and i don't know if you guys heard if i had told you it's about our church in nelly um not feeling well at the moment was in a hospital i think i must have been doing dishes when i get the news first i hear it from um uh, um where did i hear it from i think it was from um wasn't it baron no, at first it was Duchess of Sussex, and then I hear it, um, well, I was like, my God, maybe it's not true, maybe it was just somebody's commented that made the statement, I'll wait until I hear it from Baron, and I did. And um, from what I understand is there is a card that is um, being signed at the moment, and I think we should all send our love, you know, our praise to this queen, um, she's incredible. She was really was one of the first well-known name in the Sussex squad to acknowledge our existence. And so I think as I've seen to other people and I've seen to you guys, I think we stand on the shoulder of all these amazing people, whether it's Baron, whether it's Chachinali, whether it's, 
you know, all the great um, people that was just been supporting, Ivy. you know, Ivy and, and, and all these people. It just, it's just wonderful people to a great group, you know, to be a part of. Um, so we're sending our love and, um, and I think um, what we should do from now on, you know, um, just because I think I, we care and I care so much about Church and Ellie. You know, it's always great to see her, you know, in the comment, one of the first one to comment it. I'm here, you know, in the South. And so we're going to now start calling the um, part of where we do the news. I think we should we should name it after Church and Ellie because we don't have you know, a name for it. I think the, that part of the service, we should call it Church and Alley, um Report. Report. I think that's wonderful. So I think it's great. So for the first time, Sussex Squad Nation, you are here. here. Um, so what is uh, Church and Nelly Report? What's is the Church and Nelly Report? Uh-huh. On the Sussex this week. All right. Sure. So the Church Nelly Report. So Harry and Megan actually has been in the news a good little bit this week. Uh, they've actually signed with a major talent agency, WME. Uh, and it's actually said um, in a release that it's she will explore film and TV production specifically in the deal, uh, brand partnerships, and overall business building. Uh, but she will not have acting as an area of focus. Absolutely. I don't think she would. I, I, I think it's fair to say... I don't know that for 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 sure, um, but I think she might probably done with acting, and if she does acting, it's probably going to be, you know, sort of very minor, nothing major. Um, but this is huge. This is really big. I mean, it's that massive. name in Hollywood. Um, it is. I couldn't tell you how big it is, but it's much more than just what is printed in the paper. You know, um, I think it's it's you have to gain power to be able to fight power. And I think there's a statement here. And so watch out. So, yeah. So continue. Sure. Um, just a little bit of background on WME. Apparently, they've actually been built over 20 different acquisitions, and they are the, one of the largest talent agencies in the world. Um, and they have the host, and they, they support people like Serena Williams. Uh, they do Dwayne The Rock Johnson and huge names. So they're absolutely massive. And Oprah, I think, also, too. Do mm. and Oprah Winfrey and uh, many more. Yeah. So, yeah. So they're just. And politician as well. Mm-hmm. So the next piece of news is that as a part of Harry's ongoing legal case, the New York Times has reported that Prince William was actually paid a huge sum of money uh, for the phone hacking case in 2020 in a secret agreement. Oh, boy. So there's been a lot that's been said about oh this particular boy. thing, but, I mean, isn't this just trash? I mean, honestly. Okay. The fact that they actually did it, yeah. The fact that they actually took the money, and secondly, the fact that they actually kept it secret from everyone is just just and trash. We are going to get into all that later. So what next? And then the latest is just uh, something that's just so annoying to me, but I'll report on it anyway. Is they attended the Lakers game on Tuesday and ha also had a surprise appearance at the TED Talk for her friend uh, Misam Harriman, uh, who was a photographer that has done the. Um, for the couple for some time. So she just did the, kind of the intro yeah, for the TED Talk. Friend. Yeah, but I mean, the whole thing, which actually is just kind of annoying for me to report on it, is that all the news that I saw of these two particular things um, was just 
it was just so pathetic because they were always saying about, oh, Megan's doing this, they're doing that. Always just this negative representation of what, and at the end of the day, they went to a Lakers game to watch the Lakers playoffs, like as normal humans do. Like, why would it be anything else other than them going out as a gnat on the town as any other couple to have a good time? And they have all this negative stuff being said about it. And it's just, it, it was just so stupid for me to, 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 to read it as we were going through it. And I felt bad because it's just like, just leave these poor people alone and let them enjoy a freaking game. Because I mean, my they goodness. are the most popular royal ever. Yeah, well, yeah. In spite of what anybody's saying. Yeah. They it's can just, get enough. It's just so obnoxious. And then also, at the same point when she went and did, it was like a video introduction for this TED Talk. Um, they said, you know, they everybody was going over the moon about the fact of like how she has this new look. And it's just like, lady, they parted her hair down the middle. Like, what are you talking about? So, it is just this whole big thing again. People just, you know, crying that the moon is falling. And it's just like, give me a break. They like, have, just leave they're this they're making a lot around. of issues about her hair, which I will comment about because... As someone that who I know is about hair because I got hair <laughs> and God <Qualified>. knows, <laughs> God knows I've been, you know, sort of, um, people have interpreted my hair in so many different ways. And so trust me, trust and believe it was not a wig. It was her hair, and it was just a nice, good, flat iron. That's yeah, all it was just the whole thing. Just give it a break. <laughs> give it a rest. She had a nice... It was nice. She looked good. You what's, know, what's wrong with you people? Anyway. anyway sorry. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, for the sake of the news. That's basically the biggest kind of things that was coming up recently. So that's what's. That's all for the Church Nelly Report. That's a major headlines. Wow. And so... Judge. Yeah. So what do we have in the comments? Well, everybody better buckle up because we have some excellent comments today. Uh, and they are just, again, doing our, our work for us. So we'll, you know, we'll take advantage. We'll, let them, we'll get the get the, some of these best comments out in front of it everyone. It is so to wonderful see. to read these comments. And then they just, it's like get better and better and better and better. It's like, it's so hard to actually pick. Um, yeah. The, it's really hard to pick yeah. which ones to, to feature, but we do our best. Um, so the first one for this week is actually from uh, Vetti, who thanked us for the service and then said, Charles and Calmilla's story reminds me of King David and Bathsheba's story in the book of Samuel. The similarity is uncanny. So David was having an affair with Uriah's wife and got her pregnant that would see Bathsheba stoned to death. To avoid this, David would have to marry her, but Uriah was in the way, so he murdered Uriah by proxy, making her to making way to make Bathsheba his wife. We all know how this panned out. The only difference here is Charles was having an adulterous affair with Camilla for decades, before and after Diana. He wanted to be with Camilla, so treated Diana appallingly and humiliatingly so she would leave, but as she said in her own words, she wasn't going to leave quietly. Diana begged Camilla for her husband, she wanted her husband back, but her plea fell on deaf ears. However, years later, well, we know what happened and the sad outcome. Now, here we are with two adulterers who are going to be crowned king and queen and have relics believing to be from our Lord's crucifixion. To me, this is sacrilegious and disgusting. Harry and William begged Charles not to marry her, but the devil must have his way. David was punished by the Lord, but he repented and became the greatest king of all. And what of Charles, who turned his back on his son and family when they need him most and also colluded with the media about them? We've yet to see. Regarding Harry, now he reminds me of Claudius without his infirmities. Harry was treated like an outcast, degraded, walking behind his siblings and his wife, used as a scapegoat and not relevant to his family and the media. 
Harry met Megan and became a new man. His abilities and all his qualities that were hidden started to shine, and with Megan by his side, they're making themselves a great, powerful couple. This is not going down well with the Unroyals. As like Claudius, who was ridiculed and laughed at most of his life, especially by his nephew Caligula. Claudius became the greatest and best Roman emperor. And Harry and Meghan, well, we'll leave, uh, she leaves us to our own conclusions and then thanks us again for the podcast. And God bless you all. Wow. <clears throat> so love the uh, the parallels that you see. And that's the thing. It they is always say history uh, maybe doesn't exactly repeat itself, but it does have echoes. Yeah, it does rhyme, right? <clears throat> yeah. And did, and did. And our next comment is actually uh, back-to-back uh, wonderful comments from Maddie B. Uh, Maddie. Yes. Hey, Maddie. Thank you so much for the comments. Yes. Thank you, Maddie. Uh, she thanked us and then said the music in Kipling's poem, If, were very moving. Very beautifully done. The British tabloid press, in partnership with the Royal Institution, has been an effective propaganda machine for quite some time. Scripture tells us that Satan is the author of the lie. There are three powerful dark, dark forces at work trying to destroy Harry and Meghan's lives and reputations. They have taken a page straight out of Hitler's playbook on how to effectively use propaganda to brainwash the public. Bonhoeffer's theory of theory on stupidity, Bonhoeffer was a theologian executed by Hitler, explains that stupidity is not an intellectual problem but a moral one. In other words, we become what we allow ourselves to believe. Like today, where we are bombarded daily by the British media on the evil, quote-unquote, of Harry and Meghan's decision to leave the royal family, so too were the German people who were brainwashed into believing Jews were the enemy. If we are to believe the British tabloids, then Harry and Meghan are the enemy. It is a dangerous but purpose-driven game they are playing with Harry and Meghan's lives. I agree with you about your assessment on Camilla versus Meghan. Meghan has God's hand on her. She emits light. Darkness cannot survive in the light. We must continue to lift Meghan and Harry up in prayer. Heavenly Father, please bless this ministry. Amen. Wow, Maddie. Powerful. Thank you Wealthy. so much, yes. Thank you mm -hmm. so much. And we're actually going to revisit in a little bit uh, some more of what we can learn when you look back at uh, the machine of uh, what was going on in Germany at the time of Hitler. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next. And our last comment is uh, another great one. It's from Karen Warner, uh, who thanked us for the program and then said that the question is fitting. And I agree because I had the same question and still waiting for the Sussex camp to announce their attendance and atten and atten or not attendance to the coronation because that statement had been put out by Buckingham Palace to satisfy their followers and tabloids who were questioning the Sussex's non-response as yet, and the palace was looking very bad for not having received the response. Mm -hmm. Also, while listening to your service, I realized I was struggling with something regarding this coronation situation, questioning the church allowing this to happen, praying to God for a miracle to save the innocent people from this wrath, and asking myself, how can I deal with it? and what I believe in when it comes to Christianity and living your life a certain way and doing right by self and others. I was baptized and confirmed Anglican, so I'm questioning my faith, but one thing came clear while listening to your program. It reminded me that they and their behavior only represent the Church of England. It shouldn't be any church, but it gave me, it gave me comfort and peace within myself and my faith that it is only within England they are allowing and accepting this behavior. Absolutely. The break song you played for Harry was very moving. It is a marvel that we still have him in one piece, but when God is for you, no man can harm you. The Lord is light of their life. Of whom shall they be afraid of anyone trying to harm them will stumble and fall? Praise God. Amen. Amen to that. For sure. Wow. It is really, really remarkable on how on point 
this commenter. It really is. It, it, it absolutely is. And it's one of those things that is important to keep reiterating, especially as we get closer to the coronation, how important it is to keep all of those things in mind. Wonderful. But I almost forget, guys, a miracle happened after we talked to you guys regarding <laughs> the many people that are listening to us and making this show a bit tough to produce every week because we encounter so many problems each time we download. Um, and we we'll also always try to have a membership or anything like that. And we run into problems. And but obviously we fight back as I we told you guys that we were going to do we was going to um, do the best we can and because we want them to be fair with us. Because I think we've been fair. I think we stay on, um, how would you say, we follow all the protocols just to borrow a bit of England, <laughs> the protocol thing. And so we think that, you know what, we should be able to have members that who chooses to support us, um, disservice. And so it was approved. Finally, I think that happened on Wednesday or Thursday? Yeah, toward the end of the week. Okay, so today we should have something up. I don't know what we're going to have up because we're still learning so much about how it works. It needs to be done. So right after we finish here, we should be able to have a few stuff up. And so if you guys have any advice for us... <laughs> Please do. More than welcome. <laughs> it's more than welcome. So should we get the service start? Right after our disclaimer. And that is always important, especially as we get into some of these uh, deep subjects uh, that we remind everyone that we are not experts and we do not claim to be experts. And we're not here to change anyone's beliefs, but we are here to ask questions uh, to provoke thought uh, and to pause and to offer a moment for everyone to pause and think about what's really happening in the world today. What are the words that are being used? What are the symbols, the images that we are seeing? Uh, and what do they mean? And why are they being used that way? Uh, because we believe at the end of the day, what is most important is to serve and to make the world a better place. And we believe that part of that is by actually having a good understanding of what's before us. Wonderful. Well say, thank you, George. Let's get the surface started. Don't be afraid. We are society. Built on love, built on tolerance, built on love, each other, acceptance. Give them love, give them love. Don't matter what you look like, don't matter what you believe, but just believe in love. I'm talking to Philly, I'm talking to London, I'm talking to DC, Berlin. Sussex Squad Nation, Sussex Squad supporters, Charles and George. For the past couple of weeks, we've been through about 31 words. It's incredible. And each word we present, what we feel in our opinions, what's happening in our media, in the royal family. And how we should look at it, the constant harassment, news every day, 
and how should we look at what's going on? Just almost like that word go behind the headline, so to speak. And that's what we, I think we have done. Although it is five days to the coronation, we have heard about every single people, something. The news, it's been really hot and fearless. But there is one person we have not heard one thing about. Is the mistress, the famous mistress, that will be crowned queen consort and will soon be called queen all over around. So I thought looking at the news this week, everything that was going on, how scary, almost like dark. And the words that comes in my mind that maybe we should be looking into, it's one that actually scares me. And it's incredible when I tell the guys about this word and their reaction, Sussex Squad Nation, you should have been here with me. It, it was priceless. I wish I was able to record it. So let's go for it because it's dark. It scares me. It's, I don't know how to really define the feeling I get just to even say the word, but let's go for it. Instigators, this is the one that scares me really. Blackmail and corruption. And just and just to be clear, <laughs> what happened that Lady Sussex was just referring to is she approached uh, us and said uh, she was talking about the the show, although we didn't fully realize it because it was the start of the conversation. And she said, "Charles, George, we need to do blackmail." <laughs> like, what? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What? Oh, okay. You mean as a word? Okay, yeah, got it. Oh my God! So, um, Charles, how should we look at the word instigator? Indeed. And the meaning of it. Quite. So. As always, context is important, such as just saying blackmail for no reason. <laughs> we need blackmail. Yes, exactly. So in this particular case, instigator, uh, it was first used in 1542. It actually is derived from the Latin of instigatus. And it's actually very straightforward. One definition and one definition only. To goad or urge forward. Or another is to provoke and when I think about it, it always just reminds me of a bully in class, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not the bully who actually beats you up. It's the bully who actually stands beside them and actually, you know, urges on the bigger kid in order to beat up someone smaller or someone who they have a grudge against. And that's always kind of the first thing that kind of sticks in my mind as the instigator, not the one who's going to get in trouble, not the one who's actually has, who, who has any of the problems, but the one who actually causes the problems from the sideline and stays hidden in the shadows. Right. Wow. So George. Yes. And for instigate, as well as all of the other words, there are so many super interesting things, um, but they are long. So I know by the end of this, you, the two of you and probably all of the Sussex squad are going to be berating me to, to tell me to stop, but they're all so interesting. 
Um, so hopefully I, I do them all justice. Uh, the first thing that came across uh, for Instigator uh, is actually from the journal American Ethnologist, uh, Symbolism and Cognition, uh, by Marjorie Harness Goodwin. And the title of it is is interesting in and of itself, especially when you think about the media, uh, because it's entitled Instigating Storytelling as Social Process. Mm -hmm. And to just take a few of, of the excerpts from it that are relevant to conversation for today, uh, she says that few researchers have, as of yet, re investigated uh, in detail to examine how stories can be part of a larger uh events embedded in social processes that have implications that extend far beyond themselves. And the instigator specifically, and this is again, instigator as uh, storytelling, uh, the instigator may initiate a sequence of events that leads to conflict as a part of a process for sanctioning behavior that steps outside of a prescribed boundary of what is considered acceptable. And that's interesting because it's a question of who's actually de defining what's acceptable. This or not is acceptable. so good. This is so good. I think I'm going to have you to say it again. Exactly. And I think the, the thing, of, thing of it this way is that if, if the media is the one that's deciding what is acceptable or not, it, it uh, makes it even clearer how, how that comes to life and what they're doing. It says the instigator may initiate a sequence of events that leads to conflict as a part of a process for sanctioning behavior that steps outside of a prescribed boundary of what is considered acceptable. Mm -hmm. She goes on to say the larger social process at issue that inter interpenetrates the storytelling, bringing about future confrontation through indirection has consequences for the actions of both speaker and hearer. It not only provides organization for the internal structure of the story, but in addition, it influences the types of analysis the recipient must engage in to appropriately understand the story, as well as the types of responses that the recipient is expected to provide. Wow. So the whole thing, this it's thinking of instigation as a, as a mechanism of storytelling. It's really interesting because in one hand, you're saying it, they're saying it's uh, a, a way of almost sanctioning behavior that you don't like or you don't accept right. uh, through this sort of indirect uh creation of future conflict yeah. uh, that at the same time simultaneously creates the ways in which everyone else, uh, both hearing it and uh, speaking it, actually thinks about it. Oh my God. My ears is really, really buzzing and I don't know should I hurry to get into it until I hear it all. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you have much more so into that line and also hear from Charles. Mm -hmm. There's Charles. only one more thing from uh, from Marjorie um, to call out, and that is something that we ourselves say frequently, and part of the reason why we we've do this service the way that we do it is that she writes, a lack of attention to what people say to one another may be in part due to a prejudice that such activities are banal uh, uh, by comparison with larger, more exotic spectacles or big moments through which societies... Uh, generally structure themselves. And so there's this idea that, yes, there's these huge moments and big events that matter, uh, and they perhaps get an uh, undeserved majority of our attention when, in fact, these smaller moments of smaller choices of words, these the what you hear on the TV every single day, uh, the choice of words in those moments and what they mean and what the, the instigation that is present in them, uh, how important that is. Yeah, Charles. Yeah, I mean... It's, an, it's a very interesting thing in the fact that it. I always believe, similar to what George had mentioned, that it's the small things that matter. 
because the power is really revealed itself, you know, in the quiet things. It's the big things that people do in order to kind of distract from these bigger events that kind of take place. Absolutely. And, and so I think, you know, and it does remind me of, you know, that sassy instigator who's always kind of pushing forward the bully in order to kind of beat up the oppressed and kind of the small, the, the small child in the classroom. And I think that just happens on a larger stage, um, you know, as you get older and as the stakes become higher. So, I mean, you can think of countless legal cases that basically have huge ramifications, but basically gets no attention. But at the same time, what the news really covers is these, you know, bottle thing, you know, that, that really doesn't really matter, but basically make these big splashy things and accusations. And I think that's really, again, it's just kind of a statement of where we are in society that basically is all about to distract um, and, and take people's attention away from, you know, what really goes on. Right. So what else do you have? Yeah, no, it's actually a perfect segue to uh, this next bit in terms of sort of the, the person doing the bullying versus the, the one behind them. Mm -hmm. uh, and also a segue from what Maddie had written. And this is a very long, long one, but it is very, very good. Um, and so the title of it is Instigators of Genocide, Examining right. Hitler from a Social Psychological Perspective. It's by David R. Mandel, uh, published in 2002 in the Oxford University Press. And so I will, <laughs> I'll pause, but there's a, there's a couple sections here that are, I think you guys are going to find super interesting. Um, so instigators and perpetrators of collective violence. David writes that psychological theory geared towards understanding collective violence. Uh, and I'm actually before going, I'm going to pause there because I think this is something we've talked about a couple times uh, before, but it's important to reiterate, especially in the context of thinking about this um, particular material, is that violence is not always physical. I think no. everyone knows that. Mm -hmm. um, is it can be emotional, it can be uh, reputational, it can be even and and especially in the context of uh, violence uh, systemically uh, across class and racial lines. I mean, right. even just silencing or disenfranchising groups of people, that is violence in and of itself. And so I think this is talking about um, genocide is the example in, in terms of the the article. But I think it's worth us abstracting violence to any of the number of forms that it can take. Right. So psychological theory geared toward understanding collective violence, whether by violent state, excuse me, or non-state actors has tended to focus on three groups, victims, perpetrators, and bystanders. David writes that he proposes that the category perpetrator needs to be refined or rather divided. Specifically, those who instigate collective violence need to be distinguished from those who subsequently carry it out. We may call the former instigators and the latter perpetrators. The main point is that instigators play a critical role in the origination of collective violence, whereas perpetrators play a critical role in its execution, and the latter tend to operate in service of the instigators. Wow. Wow. I mean, you know what's happening, right? You know, as soon you start saying this, is it fair as we continue looking at in instigator and we put this woman who's about to ascend the throne to be called queen, who have been around for the past 50 years. And when you looked at the game she played and how she played a game and to hear what Harry had said, 
And still to today, with all the chaos, and you wonder what part have she played in this? At least we were confirmed by Harib's book how they use him for her image. We also know what she played in the marriage of Diana and Charles. We now get in a place where we have the queen make a statement in some ways to be nice with her and, and give her the same respect and love and admiration by calling her queen consort. And now she's going beyond that. Now this is a woman, the queen, who did not like this woman. There's no reason for me, in my opinion, to believe she ever did. When you looked at everything that's been going on between the brothers, what role this woman have played in their lives? So is it fair for me to start looking at her as the player into this? Yeah, I, I think I think that's exactly right. That she, especially as we continue reading the this sort of um, academic analysis of instigators, that it becomes even more clear. Uh, where your mind goes when you're thinking about this whole situation that she fits the mold to a T for what, for what an instigator is. Um, so David Mandel goes on, uh, and there's three things he, he calls out in terms of thinking about, uh, what, what sets apart instigators from perpetrators. Uh, so one thing is what he calls non-interchangeability. Uh, and so he says a defining feature of instigators, which serves to distinguish them from perpetrators, is the non-interchangeable role that they serve in the development of collective violence. In other words, he's saying that while maybe one perpetrator could be swapped in for another without any sort of impact on the on the effectiveness of, of the violence that is being carried out, instigators themselves are uniquely positioned to do what they do and they can't just be simply swapped in one for another absolutely because when you're looking at harry and you're reading spare you see for everything that he's been through there's no other way to look at it but violence mm -hmm. well it's what you could also do is that you could easily swap out the daily fail for another another particular paper um, or press or whatever else, but you can't take away Camilla because she's basically the one who's providing the dirt. So it's always to your point that interchangeability, which kind of defines the feature and one can't happen without the other. But when you start looking at it, you're saying that, okay, well, look, how easy would it be just to replace, you know, the sun versus this versus the mirror versus whatever else. So well, to your point, I think, I think the entire situation you know, fits it perfectly. Well, her providing information, I will allege that because we don't know that for sure. But what we can say, there is a coziness. There is tons of pictures of her with these people. And she is a part of the Windsor. Whether we like it or not, she married, she's a Windsor, right? And the reality is you have a family member that you are cousin with as this woman... And her husband is just going into the mud. Mm -hmm. And so, please, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the even the next thing, I think, uh, it it continues to build on that how she fits, how well she fits it. Uh, the next part he writes about is basically that instigators are catalysts of violence. Um, he says instigators often achieve their non-interchangeable position by appealing to a mass audience. They may offer hope to their followers, usually in times of social crisis in which many are searching for meaning and a sense of belonging in their lives. This hope is energized and energizing and provides a common vision, but it is often a vision that rests on hatred, distrust, and justification of violence. Well, looking at Jeremy, looked at, you know, the other one, uh, um, peers, looking at the, like, there is that acceptance. There's that, you know, sort of, you know, we are part of the crowd, right? We want to get in. We want to cozy in as all the pictures, you know, sort of, I mean, that kind of, you know, acknowledgement, it's what's been offered, right? Mm-hmm. So. And I think this last one is is even even more so. It's basically what he calls a cross spectrum. Uh, they're cross spectrum power holders. Uh, in his analysis in, of power in contemporary societies, Alvin Toffler uh, in 1990 defined three forms of power: low grade, which relies on physical force or the threat of violence; medium grade, which relies on the control of capital wealth; and high grade, uh, which relies on access to and control of information and knowledge. And again, that goes back to the whole one of the whole reasons why we do this service and talk so much about words and media and, and symbols and all of it, because that is the highest grade power that there is, uh, the control of uh, and access to information and knowledge. And so what he says is a critical factor that distinguishes instigators from other perpetrators is the acquisition of power across the entire power spectrum. Mm. Instigators are likely to achieve uh, higher positions of authority than perpetrators. Uh, including dictatorial or even quasi-messianic status. And someone's about to ascend the throne. Instigators are likely to have greater powers than perpetrators in many other respects as well. They tend to have better control over sources of financing and use of organizational resources. If they rise to power as state leaders, they will have greater powers to change laws, while as non-state actors, they will have greater powers to challenge the validity of existing laws that do not serve their interests. Unlike perpetrators, a key task of instigators is to influence the attitudes of the masses in ways intended to serve their strategic intent. In short, instigators not only have the power to authorize individuals to participate directly in collective violence, they also have greater powers than perpetrators to shape bystanders' reactions to these events and establish the social parameters for depersonalization and stigma and dehumanization and moral exclusion. Wow. Wow. Sussex Squad Nation, I know you guys are going to get in, into the comment, and I can't wait to see how you guys describe this. Because, I mean, with, we, I mean, you look at Charles, and you looked at this woman. They are two peas in a pie. And these two people supposedly going to be the head of the Church of England. And my question, are we also going to see Miss Kamala Bowles on the pound, five pound bills? <laughs> Is it possible that so many things going to change? Because there have to be a reason why she is being protected all the way to the end. It could not be for nothing. 
I think that's exactly right. And I think that when, for me, reading this, this last section specifically, it, it got me to the point of thinking that uh, her ascent is um, it's not the end of the story. Absolutely not. And so, yes, it is important to understand how she got there, but it's also important at this stage, especially five days out, to be thinking about, okay, if, if we can understand to the best of our ability how she got there and and uh, sort of who she is and what, what may be or may not be driving her, that has important implications for us to be thinking about, okay, what comes next, to your point, Lady Sussex, of if she is this instigator and she is now at this place where they say even even in the definition of what distinguishes an instigator from a perpetrator of that ability to achieve higher levels of of authority what does that then mean in terms of what comes next absolutely and to, be, to be cautious absolutely because again if you're looking at it even if all the inside fight who knows what i mean let, let let's just look at it this way so sexual nation so sexual in charles and george now this is, you marry someone, you more likely knows all the secrets, all the ins and outs. You can influence each other in so many things. We did not hear from Harry, this woman come to her rescue. She certainly had a chance and opportunity to do that. In fact, we hear the opposite. And if they were willing to go this far, so what else could she possibly have done? Because again, even when you looked at the relationship of his brother, William, and his wife, and you can see this woman, based on everything that we know so far, can play the game to instigating and putting things on their head so they can behave a certain way or do something. If it's not directly, I don't think she done it directly, even through her husband, by influence her husband, pushing her husband, you know, to do things and say things and get into William's head. You know, William's getting to, you know, his wife's head. Do you understand know what I mean? You could see how it's all play. Obviously, it's just us speculating. It is us alleging. We don't know that is the case. But you don't have any other way to explain this. And the reason why we're able to analyze things like that is because how else can you explain the closeness, the closeness that they have with the media, with the press, and the picture is taking while, you know, the king's son, the soldier that who have served his country is been bashing and his wife is screaming out for help and no one is to the rescue. And you're wondering, how could that be possible? How could it be that be possible? Someone is doing the work here. And I don't want to excuse you because one of the things that I said last week is that everybody, the way I'm looking at it, is guilty. Everybody, it's playing a role here. Everybody, it's out for their survival here. And one of them is playing each other. But I think there is one person that was outplaying everybody. Well, like she sit back with her hand clean. I won't say it's clean because I'm sure the media, I'm sure the press have tons of stuff. But it's at a cost. 
it's at a cost. We just don't know what the what the pay the cost going to be, but it could not be for nothing. I mean, am I wrong to looking at it this way, Charles George? Sussex Squad Nation, please help me here. Or am I still again try to walk my way into the rabbit hole? No, I think you're. Um, I mean, clearly there's a cost. There's a there's a cost benefit scenario that's clearly evident here. So we just simply don't know what the bill is. But it's you know the bill is certainly going to come due. Wow. So is there anything else? There's only one other thing uh, that he concludes with uh, that I think goes back to the idea of. Yes, important to understand how we got to here and now, but also equally important to think about going forward. Uh, what does that mean? And to have an understanding of her uh, as well as just the whole situation. Uh, and, and David writes uh, basically about what actually motivates instigators. And so he says, uh, for those of us who share different political views, social perspectives, and cultural ideals from the instigators in their movements we wish to better understand, it may be tempting to think that instigators are savvy manipulators of the public that use nationalism merely as a means of political expediency and power grabbing. To be sure, successful instigators will use the sentiments of the masses to gain power and will do so strategically. But it would be short-sighted to think that instigators were merely being Machiavellian but that privately they were unconvinced of their own arguments. Rather, it appears that in many cases, the motivation to instigate comes from a genuine sense of the same sentiments that instigators propagate or incense in their supporters. Absolutely. And so for me, anyway, reading that and thinking about Camilla and thinking about how so many of the comments that we've received about what she may or may not actually genuinely believe about herself and her right to be there, to be where she's ascending, what she herself thinks to be true. And if that is the case, how does that inform our understanding of what she's going to do next? But I, I, I mean, based on coming from what we were told she was going to be, right? Princess consult, that was not enough. Then it had to be queen consult. That was not enough. Why not be the queen? Obviously, that tells us how she thinks about herself, right? That equality, that equal thing. I think that says it all. Well, she clearly has the willingness to exercise that power. It's one thing to be called queen just simply because your vanity desires it. It's another thing to... Seek those titles because you want the power that they assume. So I think you have to be careful in terms well, of well, I, what I people are, what you know, why people are seeking these things, and then what they plan on doing with it after they get it. Well, as I said earlier, we were just starting alluding. There must be a price. There must be a cost for it. Unless there is something about what you said, the queen, the power that comes with that word. There is something in it for the press. There is something, I believe, in my opinion, in there for the press. Because if we are looking at queen power, and what does the media they need is power. And if you have someone you are protecting the way they have been protecting her, I mean, hello, 
So what are we about to see come the seven and eight and nine and for the rest of the year or years to come? Because it is in my opinion, all this is not for nothing. There's no way that, you know, she can be protected the way she has been protected with nothing things, part of everything that's been going on this week in the past couple of weeks for absolutely nothing. So I should, I think we should move on now to our next word. And our next word is blackmail. Why does this word scares me? I don't know. There, there is something dark, sinister about this word, blackmail. So, Charles, how should we look at this word? This is a word that I feel like you, I mean, you hear it, but when you hear it, it's almost, it, it's attached with something to be feared. Sure. It's, uh, it's very interesting in looking up this word. So, first, it was used in 1552. Uh, it's actually derived from two words, black and you can look at black as being sin or evil back in those days. And mail, which is actually from Old English, which is called mal, which is basically an agreement or payment. So together, it's basically a sinful or evil payment is the, uh, the derivation of it. So for the first definition, it's very interesting. It's actually an ancient tribute exacted uh, on the Scottish border by plundering chiefs in exchange for immunity from pillage. Mm. Okay. That's the first, that's what it is. Um, second is what we're more familiar with, which is basically an extortion or coercion by threats, especially of public exposure or criminal prosecution. Mm. And then finally, it's the payment that is extorted uh, using an unjust illegal power. Wow. So in looking through this, actually, um, I think a lot of reasons why people are so, and kind of why I would say uh, George and myself are kind of, you know, taken aback when you first started saying, okay, well, let's use blackmail, um, is that there's just, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of historical connotation in terms of where that comes from, just because it's always in like spy thrillers, it's always in books, there's, there's tons of kind of these um, very fantasyful stories in terms of what blackmail is really all about. Right. But actually, history is littered with um, blackmail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially among the political elite, and especially in England, funny enough. And so I'm just going to give you one such instance where actually it actually involves allegedly Edward III. Mm-hmm. And so to be fair, you know, it's basically this is an alleged story. So this is basically what everyone assumes to be blackmail, but it certainly seems to fit. Right. Um, so it gets a little complicated. So here's a quick brief summary of it. So there was actually a letter written um, to England. Uh, King Edward III, by a Genovesian priest in 1337. It told him that his father, Edward II, had not been murdered a decade earlier, and rather that he actually had escaped and is living currently in Europe. Hmm. So, okay, well, that's fine. Well, funny enough, well, where's exactly the blackmail? Well, pretty much it was actually assumed that Edward III actually had ordered his dad's death. So him being alive is actually very revealing that actually, and his escape would not be convenient whatsoever. 
So that's basically kind of this perceived threat. And the fact that the priest later came a bishop after that, right. um, and, and after specifically being appointed by Edward III, um, leads a pretty clear thread that actually it was indeed blackmail in terms of how he actually kind of arrived at that post, um, and then obviously threatens the king's reputation in terms of how he actually got there in the first place. So no one's actually... 100% sure this is actually the case but as i said kind of the let you know the the the, the thread certainly leads to uh, to the end um and that wasn't the only case either there's actually cases of where actually dukes those courtesans there's thousands of different references just in terms of how the political elite actually has been shaped and molded by these issuances of blackmail that's actually been proven to be true right right wow george yeah um well, before even getting into the word specifically, the one of the things that always rings in my ears now, it's actually from a conversation that, that you and I had previously, Lady Sussex, is um, for us to be cognizant. And again, it goes back to the reason why we do the service the way we do it. For us all to be cognizant of the symbols and meanings that are codified, even in just the phrases that we continue to use today. Um, and it's one of those things where you see consistently and it for a lot of us, especially uh, people who are born with white privilege, to not really give a second thought to how many words and how many things are used in our modern lexicon that are meant to be bad that always start with the word black. Right. Whether it's blackmail, whether it's black ice, whether it's black sheep, whether it's black listed, the list goes on and on of all of the things that are euphemisms for something that is bad and it always always almost always uses the word black and i think that's a it's tough to say let we'll do this word because we need to understand it because it is unfor it is the word that is used right, right. Uh, but it is also one of those things where to be cognizant of its use in and of itself in a way continues to to reaffirm systemic racism absolutely absolutely so how should we we, we you know um look seeing the word well it's a it's really interesting and one of the things that you said at the beginning is that it's like how do you even define it um and it turns out that it's actually not a straightforward thing um especially when you come at it from a from a legal perspective and so there's an article by james lindgren in uh, the columbia law review who wrote uh, it's titled unraveling the paradox of blackmail he writes, most crimes do not need theories to explain why the behavior is criminal. The wrongdoing is self-evident. But blackmail is unique among major crimes. No one has yet figured out why it ought to be illegal. Recognizing the magnitude of the problem, one theorist wondered if we can't find a principal distinction, or, or indeed any interesting distinction, between blackmail and permissible behavior that is not blackmail. In blackmail, the heart of the problem is that two separate acts, each of which is a moral and legal right, can combine to make a moral and legal wrong. For example, if I threaten to expose a criminal act unless I am paid money, I have committed blackmail. Or, if I threaten to expose a sexual affair unless I am given a job, once again, I have committed blackmail. I have a legal right to expose or threaten to expose the crime or affair, and I have a legal right to seek a job or money, but if I combine these rights, it is blackmail. If both a person's ends, seeking a job or money, and his means, threatening to expose, are otherwise legal, why is it illegal to combine them? Therein lies the problem of what is called the paradox of blackmail. Wow. <clears throat> and so he goes on, talks for quite a while in terms of some of the other um, 
uh, scholars who have contributed to sort of trying to understand this. Uh, and one of them he calls out is Ball and Friedman, who first suggests a distinction between property interests that are legally marketable and those that are not. And I think this is something that's uh, certainly, for me anyway, as I was reading, it was thinking very much of uh, Harry's court case. Uh, that's right. But say the name again, because that's important. Uh, these are from Ball and Friedman uh, that suggested this distinction. Uh, and they write that most offenses against property and even offenses against persons apply social controls to limit or otherwise regulate the manner in which economic exchanges may take place, the terms of sale and the type of commodity which may legitimately form the subject matter of a sale. Whether or not one has a marketable property interest that he may offer to another for a purchase or whether he merely has possession that he may not lawfully offer for sale is often a matter of the criminal law. Hmm. So whether or not it's actually yours or if you simply have possession of it uh, is part of what they're suggesting is the distinction. So That's right. they use this uh, example. They say, uh, for example, you are not allowed to make a person buy his reputation, quote unquote, <laughs> blackmail. The, the criminality of blackmail represents a social judgment that one may not manipulate as an income producing asset knowledge about another person's past. You may not sell to that person forbearance to use your knowledge of his guilt. Wow. Wow. Please, because I'm going to go in. Charles, please. Yeah, as I say, I mean, it's interesting. The entire, the entire aspect, the fact that, you know, the two wrongs or two rights make a wrong. It's just an interesting legal argument in terms of, okay, how do you actually perceive and where is that dividing line between what you're actually trying to get done and what actually really matters? And then again, you know, who actually holds blame or fault? So is it the one's fault of actually exposing the lies and complications of another that actually all of a sudden you're doing the wrong thing by exposing it, but it's only wrong if you're expecting something in return by not doing so? So it's, um, again, it's a moral and legal quandary, which I think, um, is always interesting. And then I think, again, always gets back to kind of the upper echelons of power as well, just because it's so easy to catch these things. Because again, it's almost, it's almost like a victimless crime in a way. Because, you know, again, when you start talking about, okay, well, are you murdering somebody? No, what you're really doing is you're holding hostage pieces of information, which they know that they've already done poorly. So really you're talking about somebody who's done something, somebody who's done something wrong that they're ashamed of that you're basically keeping from coming to light. But in order to do so, you actually remand, you know, d demanding payment for it. Well, I think having saying that maybe right before, before you continue, I think we should go to our first clip from CBS. Just days before King Charles's coronation in court documents filed yesterday, Prince Harry claims his brother, Prince William, quietly received a large financial settlement in a 2020 phone hacking case against British newspapers. Harry is suing Rupert Murdoch's newspaper group and alleges the royals had a secret agreement. That's a quote with the press to settle William's case and avoid embarrassing coverage. MTS Tayeb reports from London. Prince Harry's claim his brother Prince William had a case against Rupert Murdoch's newspaper group that was settled for a large sum is one of a series of explosive revelations made in his witness statement. But the court filings have raised questions about other possible secret deals between the royals and Britain's tabloid press, says former Sun tabloid newspaper editor Kelvin McKenzie. There would definitely be in ha on Harry's side a sense that there was a cozy cartel between uh, the popular papers and the royal family. So he wants to blow this up. He gets back in his own family. 
He, he bashes the tabloids over the head. He gives Murdoch a kick in the pants. There is nothing not to like as far as uh, Harry's concerned. The palace is not commenting on the case in which Prince Harry alleges since the mid-2000s he's been the victim of phone hacking and other illegal behavior that generated headlines which have destroyed some of his personal relationships. Accusing reporters who worked for Rupert Murdoch's tabloid newspapers of illegally accessing his voicemails to obtain private information about him. Over the past decade, Murdoch-owned businesses have settled several similar phone hacking claims for hundreds of millions of dollars in damages. It's pretty clear that they are going to do everything they can not to go to court, no matter what Prince Harry wants. Rupert Murdoch never goes into the witness box, and he'll do everything, everything to stop either him or his other executives in London from being cross-questioned. It's a very, very big game that's going on in London right now. For CBS Morning, Simon Piaz Tayeb in London. I thought what was even more interesting is Harry revealed that uh, his grandmother, Queen Elizabeth II, was aware mm. of this settlement. Of this settlement? Wow. Yes. So when you hear this, it's, is that where we are right now? Is, is that where we need to be to ask these questions? But I'll let you continue with this word. Yeah. No, I think... It's it's interesting because if you to what Charles was just saying, if you actually go farther back and staying from a legal perspective, um, apparently according to the Romans, uh, they were actually closer to to what you were just saying. And so this is in, in the Journal of Legal Studies by R. H. Helmholtz, uh, published by the University of Chicago Press, and it's titled "The The Roman Law of Blackmail." And so uh, the, he writes, uh, the legal puzzle raised by modern blackmail is that although it is lawful to disseminate harmful information about another person, just so long as the information is true, it is unlawful to extort money by making threats to do so. The, Romans took, the Roman law took a different approach. It was unlawful to reveal the harmful information unless the speaker could show a privilege to speak and usually that the public interest would be served by the revelation. For this reason, it was unlawful to threaten to do so unless such a privilege existed. So in, for the Romans, it wasn't even so much of the fact that you were trying um, to get money for it. You, for To even say it at all, you needed to, it needed to not only be true, but it needed, you needed to have the privilege to do so, perhaps by being able to prove that the public interest would benefit from it, which I think there's a very, very big difference between the public interest and the media's interest. Exactly, because now... You know, to after we listen to that clip and we hear a portion of your reading and we looked at the news this week and the bombshell that Harry lay on us on the fact that his brother was paid a very large lump sum. We hear all the hacking, all the voicemail hacking. So when you hear the story from you, Grant, that they even allegedly break into her, to his house, they have done so much. And my question is, why? Why is the reason? Why was it that they bug allegedly you know, Harry's car or Harry's fiance, you know, sort of girlfriend at the time, you know, Chelsea. Why is, what is, for what? 
What is the point? Is it something that they believe that, you know what, um, the, the, the public is interested in, that we allowed or will allow them to do? Or was it just for their own interest? And this is how I'm looking at this. What was the reason? How should we look at this? So in the sense, should we look at this as a form of blackmail, you know, based on what this article? I mean, obviously, we don't know the reason. We don't know all these things are alleging. But certainly, there's a lot of suit that has been settled in the back door about the same thing. What is the point here? Why? Well, so one thing that I do think is interesting, just to go back to one thing you, you said at the beginning of that, is there's, yes, there's trying to understand why was the press, why were they doing this to Harry specifically? Uh, and, and like, really, what like what is the benefit? What was the rationale behind it? And was it potentially uh, to be used as blackmail? Um, but the interesting thing to, to also consider uh, in the context of what we've learned about uh, the settlement with his brother um, is actually what another uh, article that we didn't um, feature but had, had gone through as a part of the research preparing for the service is um, there's the second paradox of blackmail. So the first paradox is that two things that are legally and morally right can combine to make something that's wrong. The second paradox is actually when you think about that act and you for, sort of invert the whole thing, um, it is again illegal, but for the other person, because if you have sort of just as a hypothetical damaging information and you, someone else knows about it and you don't want them to reveal it, if you initiate contact, if it goes the other way, as opposed to the person who has information about you coming to you, if it's you going to that person who has information, that and to, to tell them to conceal it, that's bribery. <laughs> that's the it's the inverse of of uh, blackmail. So it's sort of a second paradox that depending on which way it uh, the action goes, uh, it's illegal, but for different reasons and with different parties being uh, culpable. And so just thinking, would I don't know the details of what that is, and certainly I'm not an expert in the law, but just thinking about uh, William's settlement. It makes you makes you start to wonder what how the whole thing kind of works. Certainly, I mean, you can hear, you know, even in the CBS um, sort of report, they say what else, what other things that you know we may or may not know about of deal that's been made. Because now we have to ask the question, and you could even go further. The fact that obviously the Queen also knew about it, based on what's reported, but we also know, based on report. That the Queen also alleging th that it's alleged that Harry can go with the suit, but was interrupting allegedly by Charles and maybe his wife. So all these things are coming out. And so we are asking the question. What is it that we are not seeing? What is it that is happening, Charles, that we need to understand? And is it fair to use this word, although this is not a word that's been used anywhere when it comes to the media and the shady stuff that they do? Some of them, not all media do that. You know what I mean? There's very good investigation report that can be done and done really sort of, you know, the way good investigation, I mean, without doing any type of you know, illegal stuff. Like I think the New York Times, I think, you know, sort of a lot of amazing 
papers that you know we have here in the state and maybe elsewhere that would do really great work and 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 you know, news station that go out there and speak to people. And yeah, sometimes went a little bit deep to just to get the news. They are patient and it could take years sometimes just to get something to bring into the public. And you appreciate the work. You can see the intensity and they explain to you how they went about doing their work. You know, how, you know, but there is something, as I said, again, to borrow this word that I very often hear, barren, you know, like to use sinisters. There is something weird about it. That doesn't feel like this is an investigation report. This is nothing like I don't think, yes, we may want to know the people that who are paying the, the, the bills, you know, what are they doing on our behalf? Yes, we may want to know how they spend the money, you know, you know, what type of work. We may want to know a little bit more than we care to. But I don't think anyone will sign on to say, you know, go and make somebody life hell. I don't believe, in my opinion, this is who the English people are. And I don't believe anybody. Even themselves, the, the same people that was doing the, the did that, you know, allegedly doing this kind of stuff will not want people to get in, into their life the way they have themselves have gotten to other people's lives. And that's the part that I don't really know how, to, you know, what, what's the point of it? What is the reason? Is it just because of power? Is it? something more i don't know so charles please yeah it's interesting because something that uh, george mentioned earlier about kind of you know the justification and then also kind of uh, what makes up blackmail and it goes about the, the public good right so back in the romans kind of what they wanted to qualify it is okay well there is it was good or bad is whether or not actually those um something made up of the public good or was it for the public good? Well, my question is, is like who defines what is for the public good? Hmm. Who makes that case? Right. Who gets to decide? And in the end, the media does because they basically speak for the public. They're the one who shapes people's opinions. And so at the end of the day, they're grading their own homework. And so that's one of those big things about how do you actually try and reconcile you know, people who basically have ulterior motives when basically they themselves are able to kind of, you know, justify what they do and then get out of it. Like there's no one who's there to kind of keep them account. So this is kind of a very rare instance when someone's called them on it. Well, that's probably maybe out of all the thing that's been going on, if I had any type of criticism for some of the bigger media that I that I have love and respect. As I told you guys, you know, my fantasy, maybe before I leave this planet, is to at least serve coffee at the New York Times. <laughs> I really do. Just because there is something about people that would do that kind of work that I have so much respect for. Even the people that in the newsrooms. And if I had any criticism, that it is probably... The fact that they allowed these people who are doing this kind of thing call themselves journalists. And so that the effect of it 
for the amazing people at the New York Times or anything. Not that we should compare the two. But the point is, is that, you know, these little things as kind of like nonsensical that they are. As I they mean, seem. You know, or they seems How that could affect our view, other people's view on the really mainstream media that was out there really working and doing the hard work. And I just feel and I wish that they had pushed back. And at least, you know, if you're going to call yourself, you know, journalist, you can't be journalist and be tabloid at the same time. And you cannot be doing that kind of work and call yourself a journalist. Well, it's funny because it actually goes back to a comment that we had maybe a couple of weeks ago. And, I'm, and forgive me for not being able to remember who actually said the comment. But what she did is actually make that clear distinction between the difference between the U.S. press and the British press. In the U.S. press, is a very clear distinction between a tabloid and between a newspaper. You know, you have your New York Times and you have like your national, you know, your national uh, inquirer. So there are very clear distinctions between that, I think, you know. There's some news channels whom I shall not name who um, who maybe blur that line a little bit more than others, but there is a fair demarcation between kind of what's kind of salacious and what's not. Versus in England, um, there is no such so distinction. So you'll have you know kind of the same newspaper actually be you know supposedly the credible source and giving you information with this, but then they also have all the salacious kind of yellow press as well. That's right. And so people don't know. You know, what's true, what's fact, what's fiction, what's actually gossip and what's actually not gossip just because it's said by the same mouthpiece. But it's appeared to be, you know, that to me, there's so much that happened that I feel like that have gone ignored. And I mean, even us here, like, you know, take an example. I mean, obviously, we want to go beyond the headlines, right? And we want to discuss, you know, figure out for ourselves what is at play. We are not expert by no means. We are no um, sort of, you know, um, we're not kind of like here to tell people this is the way you should look at things. We are just trying to figure out what is, how do we understand what is going on here? And so, yes, we go beyond the headlines. We look for words that can express the sentiment of what is happening. But we very often ignore the day-to-day -day little, you know what, oh my God, look at Megan's hair. Or we ignore the sort of, you know, the clothes things in little things that feel silly. But really, it's a way to start putting things in people's mind and that become very, very dangerous later. And sometimes it's almost like as much you would like to ignore these small things and you almost feel like you have to talk about it because if you leave it on say and respond, then it becomes a much bigger thing, you know, because I mean, these people had the nerve to convince certain part of England and who knows who else that somehow that, you know what, Megan had a moon bomb. I don't know what that means, that somehow it was not a, that she was not really pregnant or something like, and people actually believe that. People actually really believe that. Some people actually really believe that. You would like to think that, you know what, people actually laugh at it, but some people don't. And so when you hear something like that, at least for us, it would be very easy to like, oh, 
please, come on now. Let's not even give it light. But if you don't, you see what happened. So, please, George, continue. I just, I've been, so, uh, people can't see this because we're not on camera, but I've been sitting here anxiously waiting to get into the next word because the two of you have brilliantly teed up everything that I wanted to share. I don't even know if we need the academics or the, anyone anywhere because you both covered all of it perfectly. <laughs> well, so... For our last word, Sussex Squad, Charles and George, you guys are ready for it. It's another big one. It's corruption. Yeah. So corruption was first used in the 14th century and comes from the Middle English and Latin of corruptus. Uh, there's several definitions of it, but they all kind of have a logical thread between them. Uh, the first is a dishonest or illegal behavior, especially by powerful people such as government officials or police officers. Another kind of context behind it is depravity, is more or less kind of how they reference it. The next is basically an inducement to wrong or by improper or unlawful means, such as bribery, the corruption of government officials, for instance. The next is a departure from the original or from what is pure or correct. So that's, I've always found that kind of interesting. So they're talking about the corruption of a computer file, or the corruption of a text. Mm -hmm. And then finally, it also means decay. 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 Corruption is also another word for decay or decay. decomposition. So the carcass, the corruption of a carcass, uh -huh. which I thought was really interesting. So I also did a little bit of digging myself just because I wanted to say, okay, well, how does corruption actually seem relevant today? Um, and I didn't have to go very far. So there was actually a really great article that I read uh, from The Guardian and that I want to reference and we'll put in the notes. But I don't want to go into deep of it just because there's just so much. But it was actually um, the name of the article and the title of it is, If You Think the UK Isn't Corrupt, You Haven't Looked Hard Enough. Wow. Yeah. It's by George Montbiel. So in the article, he actually starts with the kind of the terrible abuses of Boris Johnson's government and kind of during the COVID crisis. And then it's, you know, it's all just terrible just in terms of how they were basically using the COVID crisis as a, as a method and vehicle to kind of um, pass off money to all of their rich friends. But um, it had a really interesting kind of um, quote at the bottom of it, or basically a reference to it. Um, Corruption is what little people do is what he says, but kleptocrats in other countries and are merely clients of the bigger thieves in London. Hmm. processing everyone else's corruption is the basis of much of what the wealth in this country comes from. When you start to understand this, the contention by the author um, that he references earlier in the article is that the UK is the most corrupt country on earth. What? And you start and it starts beginning to make sense. The activities that are perpetuations of their colonial looting by a means of which they are able to amass a vast riches are siphoned out of these poor countries at the hands of the super rich. The UK's great and unequal wealth was built on uh, colonial robbery. The land and labor that's been stolen in Ireland, in the Americas and through Africa. And the, you know, just as a, for instance, the $45 trillion they bled just from India alone. And so just as we are able to distance themselves from the 
British slave plantations in the Caribbean and somehow believing that they had nothing to do with it, now we are distancing ourselves from British organized crime, from which this also happens in the Caribbean. And the more that you learn, the more you realize that what's really going all about is that the grand larceny is the pole about which Britain politics revolve. Who's alleging this? Because obviously all this is alleged because it's too much. Yeah, this is uh, this is from The Guardian. The Guardian. When was this? Um, it, was, it was written back in 2020. 2020. And it was by a gentleman by the name of George Mignon. That was alleging that. Oh, well, this is goodness. this is this is what he is stating himself. Stating, but we'll say alleged because this is heavy. It's, this it's is, a serious this is heavy, accusation. But he just also leveled. explained a lot of stuff. Yeah. So let me just—I'll say it one more time. The last culmination of the article. The more you learn, the more you realize that this is what's really going on. The grand larceny is the pole around which British politics revolve. Oh, dear Lord. Josh, <laughs> I need to take this in. Go ahead, please. Yeah, so there's there's a, there's a lot. It's a really deep word. I like even just to go back for a half a second to the definitions you, you mentioned, Charles. I think it's a fitting one that... It is simultaneously what it means in terms of the the inducement of wrongdoing um, or an illegal acts, uh, as well as decay. Um, and it makes you think one one does beget the other. And you think about, uh, if nothing else, the fall of the Roman Empire. Um, <clears throat> but in terms of what I was mentioning before, how the how the two of you were brilliantly setting up the things that I I had wanted to share, um, and really the implications of what the tabloids are doing right now for all of media and even more than the rest of the media, in, in fact, for the entirety of society, uh, cannot be understated. And I think uh, this woman actually did an excellent job uh, doing it. She actually wrote an entire book. Uh, I have not read the entire book. I'm sure you probably have Lady Sussex. But uh-huh. I think it, I think it uh, even just the sort of the abstract summary is, is just brilliant. Uh, and so this is by Amy Gada, uh, I believe I'm pronouncing Gada. it right, mm-hmm. Amy Gada from the Harvard University Press in 2015. Mm-hmm. And the title is uh, The First Amendment Bubble, How Privacy and Paparazzi Threaten a Free Press. And the summary is, is, uh, is as follows. In determining the news that's fit to print, U.S. courts have traditionally, traditionally declined to second-guess professional journalists. But in an age when news, entertainment, and new media outlets are constantly pushing the envelope of acceptable content. The consensus over press freedoms is eroding. The First Amendment bubble, the book, examines how unbridled media are endangering the constitutional privileges journalists gained in the past century. For decades, judges have generally affirmed that individual privacy takes a backseat to the public's right to know. But the growth of the internet and the resulting market pressures on traditional journalism have made it ever harder to distinguish public from private, news from titillation, journalists from provocateurs. Wow. It is a television program that is a television program that outs criminals or a website that put up posts salacious videos entitled to First Amendment protections based on newsworthiness. U.S. courts are increasingly inclined to answer no demonstrating new resolve in protecting individuals from invasive media scrutiny and enforcing their own sense of proper boundaries of news. This judicial backlash now extends beyond ethically dubious purveyors of infotainment to mainstream journalists 
who are seeing their ability to investigate crime and corruption curtailed. Yet many, heedless of judicial demands for accountability, continue to push for ever broader constitutional privileges. In doing so, Amy Gata, the author, warns, they may be creating a First Amendment bubble that will rupture in the courts with disastrous consequences for conventional news. Wow. And is why I think I am literally shaking to my core at the moment because to hear this article that you read and to this wonderful piece you just did now, and I'm starting thinking, what is it that you know this woman going to do for the media? How politic going to play into what is going on? And I know this is crazy where I'm going. And I know it is really Sussex Squad Nation. Please help me here because I am going to the rabbit hole at the moment. Could it be possible? Knowing everything that we have seen, everything that's going on, all the, the news, everything. With, you know, this is this man. They're going to be, from what we heard, travel in that carriage, that gold carriage, which I think at first some of the Sussex squad thought that, you know, it won't happen. There's no way they're going to do that. The press is going to allow them to do that. With all the starving people, everything that is going, there, there's no way. How do you sort of, you know, travel in this gold carriage that we present wealth, we present everything and be okay? Like no one to say anything. So I started thinking, and I know it's crazy. It's me going into the rabbit hole. Is it possible once this is over, Saturday, because right now, everything is low, everything is down, and I mean the economy in England, the damage of, you know, Brexit, anything that goes down have to go back up. If we are talking about corruption, we are talking about to believe we are just alleging these things, and we know the media based on what's reported, have have hold on certain politicians. Could it be possible out of nowhere deals started happening, things that started happening, economy as well, and the person who prays for it's Camilla. Is that possible that we're talking about this woman becoming the biggest, the popular thing who we eventually give the media the power that they need because if she become accepted, she become the savior of England, she certainly will be viewed differently. I would say that it's not, it's not just possible. It is 
very, very probable. Uh, and it actually, you somehow you brilliantly set up another source uh, for today's service that actually affirms that exact idea. And it's funny because it's actually from 1995, so you can imagine how much more things have, have been exacerbated since then. And it's actually also, uh, this particular uh, article is from Harvard Business Review. It's focused on the U.S., but it's very easy to see the exact same parallels in what's happening in Britain, uh, in particular right. with the royal family. And so what the title of it is Why the News is Not the Truth. It's by Peter Vanderwicken. He writes, the U.S. press, like the U.S. government, is a corrupt and troubled institution. Corrupt, not so much in the sense that it accepts bribes, but in a systemic sense. It fails to do what it claims to do, what it should do, and what society expects it to do. The news media and the government are entwined in a vicious circle of mutual manipulation, myth-making, and self-interest. Journalists need crises to dramatize news, and government officials need to appear to be responding to crises. Too often, the crises are not really crises, but joint fabrications. The two institutions have become so ensnared in a symbiotic web of lies that the news media are unable to tell the public what is true, and the government is unable to govern effectively. Yeah. So, to what you were just saying, this sort of, once the coronation comes and goes, is it somehow suddenly going to be the case that the media is portraying Camilla as this sort of savior figure, the one who's responding to those crises? Absolutely. Is it possible, like that idea that, oh, maybe they actually start talking about the economy differently. Maybe they start making it seem like things aren't actually so bad. And then they can say, oh, things are not actually so bad because of the result of Camilla. I don't know any other way to look at it. I mean, that's that what kind this... of alleging, that kind of sort of, it, it is, it is because it has to be for something. It could not be just because... Queen, that that m must meant something for the people that allowed it to happen, and there is a reason, there is a payback here. But how do you get paid? Because you already trashed Charles. I mean, you know, his fault. I think he's complicit. I think you know, it's like the word that I think normally um, they say: you you make a bet with the devil, and the devil comes. To collect a zoo? To collect. I'm not calling the media. This is just a metaphor that I'm using. Not that I'm calling anyone the devil, but I'm just, I think it's appropriate to use that type of metaphor to actually explain this situation. Yeah, and I think the other thing for people to, to have in mind, uh, especially from a from an economics perspective and thinking about the economy and, and certainly the disastrous effects of Brexit. Um, one of the things is one of the first things you learn in, in economics is something from John Maynard Keynes, who was writing about what he called animal spirits. Uh, right. And so much of the economy, so much of the success, the growth uh, of an economy is not so much based on the rea the material reality of um its structure and, and what's going on with trade at a given point in time, but even more so uh, based on simply how people feel about it, their emotional reaction. Do they believe that it's good? Do they believe that it's bad? Because if they believe that it's good, they're going to act in a certain way. They'll spend more, they'll invest more, they'll take more risks. They'll, it'll spur growth. And so one, one important reality for everyone to keep in mind is, is it may be possible that certain things economically are simply 
realities of of a given state for any number of of causes such as maybe trade did in fact get stymied by the pandemic but it is also equally important to realize how huge a role the media has in shaping how people feel about the economy which in turn is a direct input into how much the economy succeeds and the reason why i started thinking that i know i know some of you guys may say that you know what lady sussex you know you really went in very deep into the rabbit hole and i don't know if you could come back out of it but if you think about i think one of the first state visit they're going to have will be with our our president here and we know what that symbolizes, right? So for me, I have to look at some type of deal going to take place. It, it, I mean, they cannot crumble. I mean, things have to be better. And so what role the monarchy will be playing on the economy? And the woman that's been protected and everything that is happening with Charles, with Williams and his wife, who will have the real power here? Because I don't think based on everything that's been reported thus far, they can put it on Charles doing. I don't think they can use Williams. Am I wrong to look at it this way? Because the only person that I think right now that stand up to be a problem for the media and for whoever it's, it's, it's manufacturing these things, it's Harry. And you could see how bad they try to go after him. And for some reason, so many things we have heard started somewhat making sense. If you were to think it that way. Whether it's them wanted the title back, they're not going to get it now. Whether it's them sort of, you know, do whatever it is for them to not have securities, put them in danger. And a side note, like I've hear all the time, all these trash talking about Megan scared of being boo again. I think I'd say that again. Now, this is a woman during the Oprah Winfrey. I don't know. Most people probably had missed that. Who was willing, who says, you know, look, if you don't have money, so-called don't have money, to give me security, I'm paraphrasing, but I think she kind of say in that line that, you know what, what about my husband? Who's willing to forfeit herself to make sure that her husband is secured? And that is, I think, their problem. They have a couple who's willing to take on them, take on the fight. And I will go further now, and this is again speculation, 
after I listened to Barron, after I listened to reading everything that was going on. Now, I know many of you, me, we have our way how we feel about the late queen. But I have a feeling, and it is my opinion, in her last years, she had one person I feel like she could trust was Harry. And I feel like she disclosed a lot of things to Harry. I feel like Harry knows a lot. And I believe she did love Megan. She it probably was in her opinion, in my opinion here, that Megan probably was going to be the best thing for them. I believe that because the way things are studied coming out, whether it's about the tiara, whether it's about her giving her blessing to go after them, Harry, and the people that will come in the way of that, that making the decisions, which I think all the squads know that, you know what, there's no way the queen was making this decision, allegedly. And I think now we started learning more who was behind all this decision. And now we have to question whether or not the queen did sign on that woman becoming queen consul. Even though that was not good enough for her, she has to be queen. And when you started thinking about the fact that, you know what, the queen managed to bring Harry and Meghan into England without everybody knows, it could, have been, it could not have been just because she missed him and she went, because it seems like they talk a lot in via Zoom or anything like that. In my opinion... There is something more. There's a lot more to the story. And like Baron say, right after they shipped the queen to where she ended up passing. Okay? As I said again, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. And there is... A dangerous game being played. But I think the most gratifying things that happened this week is the announcement of Megan signing with this agency because I think it is really important that both of them have backup, not just only from the Sussex squad, because we have been the soldier, but real heavy political haters behind him because what is about to come these people are not gonna go down like this without a fight and they know that it's two people that was in their way it's megan and harry and that's why we're gonna have to pray hard so what else do you have george there's only there's only one more thing to add and it's really actually in some ways a reiteration of what you said 
just a moment ago and what Charles said uh, at the beginning. Um, and it's from a, a final uh, article entitled uh, On the Reconstruction of Corruption in the Media uh, by Eric Bright in the Journal of Business, Eth- Business Ethics. And I'll just read a few a few parts of it, not the whole thing. Um, he says, although corruption has become a hot topic in organizational research, research, few studies have examined how it is socially constructed. Based on the analysis, the paper exemplifies how the media makes sense of and gives sense to controversial activities in response to changing and at times contradictory information. In particular, the paper highlights the interplay between four dominant discourses, transgression, political, public scapegoating, and individualistic, which are mobilized throughout the media coverage. These discourses are intimately linked with wider dynamics between problematizing and restorative media framings, and thus provide crucial means of either constructing or reconstructing or reformulating either the legitimacy or illegitimacy of the reported activities throughout the scandal. And so I think this is something we can, we can keep, I think we need to keep reiterating it just because it is that important is that at the end of the day, so much of reality and how things are socially constructed for us to even understand them is through the lens of the media. And so as Charles said at the beginning of the show, they, as it relates to either blackmail or corruption or instigation, the media are the ones providing the social construct to understand what's happening and, and judge it one way or another, judge what is permissible or not. And so they're grading their own homework. And so they're not going to tell on themselves. And just the same as, as you were talking about, what's going to happen after the coronation is done and, and what might we expect to see, the, how, the, how the narrative chains about Camilla and is she suddenly tied to improvements in the economy or restoration on the national stage, international stage, or, or whatever it may be. At the end of the day, to not never forget how critical a role the media has and owns in even just constructing the reality in which we understand what is or is not happening. Even saying the word media, because it's almost, again, this is where the danger is, because it's almost like you're putting everybody in one path when we know that is not the case. That is not the case. Because when you even looking at the report, The Guardian, you know, better than ever, that started coming out banging. And I will hope all this reporting, all this incredible document, it's for a good cause that they really understand their work here, the, the, what it means to be a part of, 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 of history. Right. And so for me, is that, you know, I sometimes when I we are saying here, media, 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 I, 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 we, I want, well, me specifically, us to be very careful because we want the open press. We want the media to really do the work, but understand the responsibility of it. And I do think and I do believe there is a lot of incredible network and papers, whether it's local papers. And I told you guys how I feel about local papers and, 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 and my love affair with New York Times. That I feel like will work very, very, very hard. And a lot of these people, you know, they do it because of a passion. You know, these people are doing it. It's not because of power. You know these people are doing it because of the work. It's necessary. It is important to move us forward because they make 
not that much money. I think you're you're exactly right. They can't be combined. They can't be lumped all together into one. They're very different. And and I think honestly to what you mentioned before, for the main, for for true honest hard working journalists, uh, it is it is a moment in history to to really reflect on that potential bubble that is forming in terms of uh, what Amy Gatta was writing about the First Amendment bubble and and what the tabloids and the paparazzi are doing to undermine the legitimacy of all media uh, because it has implications beyond them. Uh, so it's they're not the same, but it, the the mainstream journalists do have um, do have their work cut out for them. Wow, I think this has been heavy. I think this is the time where we move to a first song and um, verse. What verse do you have for us? Because we have an incredible song that feels like we need to have that song. The the words it's so important and 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 um tell them the the song tell them about the song george before charles get into the first verse it is it is a if nothing else it is a call to action it is an affirmation uh for everyone who believes who wants to uh make the world a better place as we enter this coming week and the challenges that it brings uh that we are not doing it alone amen okay so for the first verse we actually have mark 12 Verses 29 through 34 of the English Standard Version says, Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is the one, and there is no one beside him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, and with all your strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Amen. So let's take a break, and we'll see each other on the other side. God of Jacob, great I am, King of angels, Son of man, voice of many waters, song of heaven's throne, louder than the thunder, make your glory known.
song right george wonderful so how should we summarize all of it knowing we have five days left and there is a lot more news we are seeing now they are using our kids the kids okay i don't know how you guys feel about it but i was quite disturbed about it we seen the fact is again them talking about the fact that um Megan her hair being straight somehow it's oh god I just don't want to even talk about it because it's like they must not have a flat iron they must never put like some really sheen in their hair I I, I don't really I don't get it and we also have this tweeter. I guess I'm assuming that is a woman. I, I was watching Baron, and then I think one of his audience had alluding that, you know, have you seen Twitter? So-and-so said this, and he actually read it. And I thought it was quite interesting <laughs> that they were so shocked by the news of Harry and Meghan and that they have there has been a response, and I don't think there's going to be a response. And if there is a response, it's probably going to be something very similar to what George going to read. Because the game has changed. You're not going to speak any kind of way with a woman that has been representing by that kind of group. And I told you, it was incredible when I, <laughs> when Baron read it. You know, I'm telling you, for those of you who's not familiar with his channel, his channel called Royal Sussex, and he come on daily, and I can tell you, even for those of us that who listen to him, you miss a day, you miss a lot. <laughs> so it's, I try to do my best, no matter what hour is the time of the day to try to catch up because he brings, say, all the time and every day you miss a day you miss a lot so george what did this woman had to say in the open letter on twitter it's very hard to read this soothe the serious face but before i read it I, the thing that struck struck i think all of us uh is that how uh one how pitiful uh it, it is but also how representative it may be of how uh the rest of the royal family and perhaps even the tabloids are are feeling maybe the reality is they truly are that scared of of harry and meghan um so this is uh karen arm armes arms uh at karen cambridge five on twitter she wrote 
to an open letter to um, WME and Ari Emanuel saying that we understand you have a new client, Meghan Markle, and want to make you uh, and want her to make you money, but please break this agreement with her. We lost Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II and are still grieving as a country, as if that is somehow related to who's representing Meghan. It goes on to say, It is imperative that our monarchy does well and that Prince William and Catherine take the throne one day in a smooth manner. It has been attacked so much. I don't see how it happens when Harry is suing newspapers and your client is trying to overshadow the coronation with her new hair and announcements. My goodness. Our countries have historically been friends. Please don't spoil that. The way I'm reading this is like you can't represent her because then we won't be able to talk to her. We won't be able to trash her. So we have to be able. We need them so we can trash them. Like this is how I'm reading it. I don't I'm know. reading them begging. It it just it just insane. I don't know who's got the stat on how much money has been spent on the coronation, but the fact that they're concerned that Megan flat ironing her hair, her hair is going to so- outshine the coronation is pretty remarkable. <laughs> I'm hoping this person, because I don't know who she is, is anybody is important to the 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 the, <laughs> the establishment. Lord hope this was not sanctioned by anybody, oh but that God. that's just that's just crazy. I, I, I it, it says, uh, do you guys have any last word? Because, I mean, I hate the fact that this is how we have to end, but at least we need to actually show this is where we are. This is where we are. And we have five days to go with no mention of this woman. And obviously we are here alleging, we are here speculating, we are not expert, but we still looking for an answer. We're still trying to find an answer. And so as we go on to the last week to the coronation, how should we look at the week coming? What should we expect? No, I think that um, they're going to do as much as possible to bring as much attention as they can to themselves. So by any means necessary. What they want to do is they want to take their moment to shine. And frankly, I think this is going to be their coming out ceremony. So it's going to be interesting. We haven't heard from Calmilla in a while. So perhaps this is the week where she breaks out and she's trying to, you know, take her two minutes, right? (laughs) So it's going to be very interesting just to see kind of, you know, how they try and really kind of parade her around and try and make her and transform her from being the mistress into like something, something greater than that. So, you know, I certainly would be on the watch for that. And then um, oftentimes what bullies do is that they put people down in order to hoist themselves up. So if that's going to be the case, then perhaps what they're going to do in order to kind of get more impressions and more clicks and more more people to like what they're doing um, is is continue to trash um, and bring up these silly, you know, straight ironing things against Megan just in order to kind of get those headlines going. Judge. Two things from me. I think one thing you said at the very beginning of the service, uh, I think, is um, spurred a thought for me, and I think it's something I would I would encourage, at least for myself, would like to do. Maybe encourage others to do the same: is to get a new name for Camilla, uh, a new title, which is the not just the famous mistress, but the forever mistress. Wow. I think that's what I, that's my suggestion for consideration anyway. Um, and in terms of kind of just kind of 
closing thoughts following this uh, uh, very enjoyable discussion uh, is that the thing that's stuck in my head most is the for the word corruption that it as as Charles had said it is simultaneously symbolic and representative of illegal acts inducement of wrongdoing and it also means decay and so the word to the wise uh, over in the UK is especially those who have uh, a penchant to care about their legacy uh, and the continuation of an institution um, that that corruption is not conducive to uh, a the, the perpetuation of an institution if that's what you care about Wow. And for me, I think there's two things. Um, first, before I get into it, we mentioned that um, for the week, I think on Friday, we would like to do a show for you all. And it's, it's going to be about um, just a, a review on what should we expecting on Saturday. And songs, prayer, sending our loves, if, and I said the word, if Harry showed up. I know, I'm not going to say anything else. If Harry, and i tell you why. I wonder if it is by not coincidence that you're studying hearing the word from the media stating that, oh, it's going to be so embarrassed for him to show up. It's going to be so embarrassed with him being, oh, he's going to be under, you know what, row six. I don't think that would ever happen. And if that were to happen, it would be, it would not look bad on Harry. It certainly would look good, bad on them. And so, again, there is a 99% chance that Harry will be there. And I could see the reason. And I think I've, I've stated the reason why I think he should and Paul Bobby will be there. But I'm going to reserve that 1%. Given the nature of everything that I've heard so far, everything that I've seen so far, and the fact that, you know, Harry laid down this bombshell during that time, a, he's not showing up, or two, he's going to go, pop up his chest, and looked at them, and said, game on. And so, this is my opinion, of course. I don't know any of these things to be true. This is what's going to happen. But this is how I am seeing thing is being played. I also think, Charles, you said that you're not going to do anything to make sure. I believe that. But I think the play of try to show her whether it's this week they're going to be all of us and talking about her or doing, you know, yeah, that woman that we still don't know about. I don't know how to really address her because I don't know anything about her. I would love to know. I'm sure it's really interesting. I would love to know. You know, give me a pointer or two. Not going the mysteries route, but at least how do you stay in the game that long? 50 years. I think that they're going into the either the pity or the curiosity role. And what do I mean by that? It means that, you know what, 
all these negative things could end up working for them. Because sometimes people like to see chaos. They like to see things unravel. And there is going to be people that curious to see what she's going to wear. I mean, the whole ceremony thing, this is something that have not happened 70 years. I want to see it. I mean, for many different reasons, but I, 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 I want to be a part of that history. And I'm sure there is going to be many people. Of course, one of their play, they're probably going to say, if there is more than maybe two, three or millions of people that are watching, and they're going to say there's 70 million people that watch it. Uh, so in that sense, they are popular. Oh, my God, can you believe we had like, it was overwhelming that, you know, oh my God, they are very love. Who say that they're not love? They're going to use that. I could almost guarantee it's not going to be because of curiosity. It's not going to be because of people just want to see what is this all about. They're going to use that in their favor. So that is my thinking. Because it, when you looked at all these play, it reminded me of a show a friend of mine talked to me about that call um, Survivor. And I believe it was year of 2000 Charles not and and I think it was in the 2000 survivor I can't believe you actually even like remember that given how, I don't, how old you are <laughs> well I don't I wasn't well let me put it this way it was a discussion that I was having with someone that talked to me about it and it was about the first show and you have this woman and because what the show is about is about sort of group of people being put together in an island. And the strategy is it's they go from group to single into pretty much who end up with a million dollars. And somehow one woman by the name of um, George help me here. Susan yes, this woman, as she was voting out, she gave the ultimate speech. And, you know, when I was looking at the script, it's like you can look at it and put every each single different royals into that spot. I mean, just to even quickly mention the whole idea Eugenie and Beatrice meeting this man. In my opinion, I'm not going to say much about that. Because I do believe there is a form type of setup. And I think it was to send a message to Harry. Somehow we are speaking or no or friendly to your favorite cousin that have visited you, that you have hang out with. And I think it meant to send a signal. There was something symbolic of that. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm just alleging here and so i'm going to keep my opinion for now and i'm going to put a pen on that and like rachel model will say you know watch this space so quickly can you read i think you guys will find it quite interesting a few part of that <laughs> speech susan gave at the end of receiving you know, been voting out. George. 
Sure. <laughs> they, they don't, I mean, let me, let me say this before you read it. Sussex Rad, it's really in some ways they looked at me like, really, you're going to have us, have me reading this because what does this have to do? But I could swear to you guys, you will find certain part of the speech, especially towards the end. And we'll put the whole speech for you guys to read. It's so funny. I have no questions. I have statements, Rich. You're an arrogant, pompous human being, but I admire your frankness with it. But if I would ever pass you along in life and you are laying there dying of thirst, I would not give you a drink of water. I would let the vultures take you and do whatever they want with you with no ill regrets. I plead to the jury tonight to think of that little bit of island we have been on. This island is full of pretty much only two things, snakes and rats. <laughs> and in the end, Mother Nature, we have Richard the Snake, who knowingly went after the prey, and Kelly, who turned into the rat that ran around like rats do on this island, trying to run from the snake. I believe we owe it to the island spirits we have come to know to let it end in the way that Mother Nature intended, for the snake to eat the rat. I tell you, it's, 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 um, it's a very profound and I don't know why that was brought to my attention to look at this piece of importance, I guess, <laughs> and related into the royals. So I think this is where we'll leave it, Sussex Squad. And we'll get into prayers now as we pray for the healing specifically for our girl, Chechenelli and pray for guidance for the week to come because it is going to be a heavy week. There is people that's about to, in our opinion, taking the God name and then, and, but we'll pray. We'll pray for the media. We'll pray for Harry. We pray for everybody that is in that really weird space that we are in and we'll end with a very very wonderful song i thank god and this is a song that have so much meaning and will make you dance and get out of your seat and celebrate the fact that we are here for this moment celebrate for what has been happening for the sussex and the care and the love and how they are receiving by all of us here and at California and really around the world. So let's pray for Church in LA. Josh, please. Uh, yes, that's what we need to do. And we have to do that at least to start two Psalms for you, Church Nelly. And I promise I will never forget your name again. The first is Psalm 34. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all, or her out of them all. He keeps all his bones, all her bones, not one of them is broken. And then Psalm 91. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Amen. And please, Church and Ali, get well. Just based on the kind of how you maneuver 
the space we are all in, jumping from one channel to another to support. I'm thinking that you're a fighter and you'll fight because we need you, girl. And we don't want to be sad here. We want to celebrate you, celebrate everything you have done for this channel because you was one of the first to bless us with your presence in the comments. And we look for you every week. So we are closing with this song. And I thank God for you, Church and Ali. We dedicate this show to you. So have a good Sunday, afternoon, evening, wherever you are. Remember to take care of your mental health. And please, please support all the other channels. Specifically, our wonderful brother, Baron. And please go under his um, page to sign the card for Churchinelli. We love you here, Churchinelli. And we can't wait to see that name in the comment. Have a good evening. God bless you all. And we'll see you on Friday.